Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Welcome back to the Dental Head Start podcast. In today's episode, I interview the current president of the Australian Dental Student Association, Seneca Shuri. We talk about what to expect out of your first year, but really, because all dental schools are different, we're more focusing on your overall first half of dental school and what things you should expect and prepare for. This is an episode I really wish I did here when I was in first year. So if you have any dental student in mind that you think this could be targeted for, please feel free to share this with them. Now sit back and enjoy the show. So I think thinking back to first year of dental school, I had no idea what I was stepping into. I was kind of very distant from the dental field. I know quite a few of my peers, let's say they'd known someone who was a DA, had like some resources or connections. I had no idea. I was literally like, I didn't even know how many teeth were in the mouth. So going in, I think the biggest thing for me was I was at least curious because I started from zero I just wanted to build on to it so I think that in order to kind of make the most out of first year at least it's just being so open to grab any opportunity whether that be in terms of academics whether that be in terms of social or whether that be in terms of networking because something that you especially don't realize in first year is that your peers are going to be colleagues for you in the dental fraternity for the rest of your life. So building those good relationships and establishing yourself and kind of just giving yourself a really good foundation was something that I would look back and say I was really proud that I did. But also there are a few things that I would tweak in there as well. But yeah, overall first year It's really daunting to begin with. First week you go into dental anatomy and things and you're like, oh my God, what have I stepped into? But just kind of going through the paces and realizing the joy of being tested in that manner, like you're privileged to be in dental school. So taking that opportunity up, yeah, I think that was my main take from first year. I thought it was a really good point that you highlighted having a curious mindset Because I think when we have our first year of dental school, and potentially the postgraduate uh, courses don't have this as much, but when you're doing your basic, you know, chemistry or biochemistry type subjects, I think it's very easy to get, you know, think, oh, this isn't relevant to me, or when am I ever going to need this in dentistry? It turns out that it's there for a reason. And realize as you start to learn more dental subjects, you do rely upon that kind of foundational knowledge. As you mentioned, uh, people are coming from different backgrounds because you've, you've got people who have been dental assistants. You've got people who have gotten pharmacy degrees and you know physiotherapy degrees. How would you, in relation to you know trying not to compare yourself with others, how what would you what advice would you give to a first year? So I guess in first year, off the bat. For me, it was really different because I moved from Melbourne to Bendigo, which is about two hours away to a rural area. And that's the story that would probably hit home for a lot of our first years is it's their first time moving out. So building those connections, not only just within your dental fraternity, but also in a completely different place, it's something that's 
you know, a little bit daunting. You walk into a room and you're like, I hardly know these people. Some of them might have full careers before coming in. Whereas for myself, I was just a fresh high school graduate. So I think finding commonality was easier said than done, obviously, but that's something that I really worked on, whether that was just whether you had the same classes as someone, whether it be you were partnered up. I think tapping into the opportunities you were given by the school was the first thing. And then the second thing in itself was at the end of the day, people that I connected with mostly were people who I just found fun to hang out with, whether it was just at the library where we were just trying to cram everything or whether it was outside of classes and we were just kind of hanging out on res yeah it's very much just about going in there with a very open and fresh mindset and it comes back to the curiosity that I was talking about because I think that that's also important in building those relationships as well I think our Canadian listeners that have moved to Australia will also resonate with your message of it's such a big move and just finding that commonality can really help with settling in now, you've sat down in a lecture and it's about light-cured special trays. Do you have any tips on how a student should go about taking notes? So I experimented a lot with this, especially because, unfortunately, my cohort was very much impacted by COVID. So in first year, as well as second year, everything was online for us. And in first year, I experimented a lot with just handwriting everything, old school pen and paper. And then in second year, I transitioned a little bit more into the massive iPad craze, like I hopped onto the trend and somehow I think I made that stick. So my current method, not saying that this would work for everyone, but the first thing that I do is I will go through the slides the day before if they've been uploaded. And what I'll do with them is I'll just go through and write down questions that I have. So let's say I don't know how long I need to light cure something or what is a light cure to begin with. Like if you don't know what a light cure is, it can be as simple as that. But it was just letting my mind go through the content and come up with whatever questions. And I'd write that on the side. I currently use OneNote because that was just the easiest thing for me. And then with those questions, I'd go into my lecture. And I would just listen to the lecture and fill out the answers to those questions during the lecture. And after the lecture, I'd come back home or just sit down and try and organize those thoughts into a bit of a mind map. So it's a three-step process and it's tedious, but it often means that I never have to go back to that content again because I just kind of it just kind of sticks with me. So again, it's gonna be a bit of a recurring theme, but it's all about that questioning process that sticks, or at least for me makes things stick. I know quite a few lecturers that don't post their le- mm-hmm. lecture notes uh, before class. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, is there any modification to that method that you would use? Certainly, certainly. In fact, um, there's a couple of lecturers who are notorious, even at our school, who do that. And in that case, I 
it is of my understanding, or at least in my experience, that trying to take down every single word of a lecturer is firstly inefficient, secondly impossible, and oftentimes a lot of the stuff that they're going to say is going to be on the slides anyway. For me, it was more in that scenario, what I'd often do was I would just sit down, listen, and just write down my questions then. And then what I do was go back, listen to the recording, which I'm hoping a lot of universities, I think it's now mandatory for them to record a lot of their lectures. So yeah, I just then listen to the recording and same process, just try and fill it out again. So kind of the same thing, but just a little bit more tweaked. So let's say it would just be the first time I'd be exposed to the content. I would write down my questions and then go from there. As a new grad, I had to register with an indemnity insurer in order to practice, and having loads of options didn't make that any easier. When I came across Dental Protection Limited, they made it easy for me to sign up with them with their streamlined registration process, and they also had heaps of added bonuses for signing up, like webinar events, workshops, and various online learning. Dentistry is hard, and the stress of patient complaints can add to the everyday stress. Knowing I have DPL behind me every step of the way makes me feel confident stepping into work. If you want to feel like someone has your back going into work, you should give DPL a chance and discover what they can do for you. What topics so far in dentistry have you found to be quite difficult to both learn academically but also master practically as well? I'll start off the bat, something that would resonate with a lot of first years who are coming in. Anatomy was a struggle. In first year, I still remember we have a subject called DSB that is notorious for being extremely difficult because it is all just your head and neck anatomy. Because when you start off initially, it was so overwhelming to begin with. I was like, I need to know all of these points of insertions, points of origins. I need to know these neural pathways, blah, blah, blah. And I think everyone was in the same boat where we were just so overwhelmed with all the content that we needed to know. But now that I look back, I think it was understandable for us to be overwhelmed. But if we would have just taken a step back and realized that you know, there is a very efficient way to go about this. And yes, it is a lot of content, but it's also because the head and neck region is, think about it, it's so important in our body. So for us to be able to know that anatomy and to be able to now apply it in clinic, it's very necessary to know that very well. So that was definitely one that I found academically challenging And then in terms of practically challenging, something that I'm currently still getting my grip with is endodontic treatment. I feel like it is extremely, extremely, extremely particular and it's so, so specific in the manner and you have to be so, like, so fragile (laughs) with when you do it, whether it be the instrumentation, whether it be the obturation, There's just so many things that can go wrong with it. And mind you, the theory behind that in itself, there's a lot of theory behind endodontic treatment and the diagnoses that you come to and how you go about treating each of those separately. 
But to then put that into clinical practice, I felt like there's just a lot of things that have to click very quickly for you to be able to diagnose a patient within 10 minutes or so and then jump straight into root canal treatment. So I think in terms of that, I'm really glad that the placement that I'm currently on gives us enough exposure with those things. So I can feel my skills building a little bit, but yeah, that's definitely something that I did struggle with, especially in preclinic. I totally agree. I think those first months of particularly like, I'm not too sure if you had endodontic simulation clinic we did. Uh, like we did, but yeah. it, it can be very variable. You know, the teeth that get extracted for, if you're practicing on extracted teeth and you're getting all these weird and warped roots, you know, the, all these teeth were taken out for a reason and it can be the most debilitating experience the first few weeks of endodontics, particularly, you know, when tutors, they come to you and they say, oh, you just feel when it stops. You just feel when it stops at the end. It's like, what does that feel like? And then they often also say it's like, you'll feel the drop in the pulp chamber, which you do. Yeah. And then you're like, you'll also feel it. Like if you're going to perforate, you still perforate. And I, I, I personally liken it to, you know, almost playing an instrument. You know, it, it, it'd be really hard for somebody to pick up a violin and try and play a few notes and, yeah. oh, now I'm a, I'm, I'm a bad violin player. I'll never learn the violin. It's like, it, it's, you know, it's it's practice. And I think if anything, whether it just, just be like not being able to get a rubber dam on, I know back in first year, I was spending close to like 15, 20 minutes trying to get my rubber dam on. And now you do it as if it's like second nature. So I think it's especially for our first years, it's kind of like a reminder for you that just be resilient because you constantly having practice with these things is what's going to make you a better clinician in the end anyway. And it's just being cognizant of that at the end of the day. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. Moving on to, uh, I guess, we were kind of exploring that a little bit, but comparing yourself to others, and I think particularly this isn't so much noticeable in simulation clinic, but rather in the real clinic when you're starting to help assist each other. Can you explore the dynamic of you know, dental students assisting each other and what kind of issues or complications might occur? So I think straight off the bat, like I mentioned previously, some of the students, even throughout their studies, may have dental assisting experience. So a lot of them 
would know, especially as to what kind of instruments are better for a certain procedure, um, whether you're using lower universals or cow horn forceps for an extraction. Um, and because they've experienced that a lot more, they might be able to judge that a lot better. And I think especially now that we're in clinic, you see the differences in learning and the pace at which people learn. Obviously, it's each to their own. So in that regard, it can be a little bit daunting when there's someone who knows more than you, who's assisting you and is kind of giving you some pointers. I myself think that it's a great opportunity. So at this stage, I'm head up with a fifth year and myself being a fourth year, I'm really grateful to have them on board because I get to learn so much, whether it just be simple things like patient positioning for better access or whether it be like, hey, maybe um, try this type of rotation a little bit more as the tooth is already like very mobile buckly, maybe try it a little bit more lingually. So it's those little pointers, but mind you, there have been instances where those little pointers can be a little bit condescending. And I think that's a very interesting dynamic then because you're the operator in front of the patient. The patient has placed their trust in you. And a lot of the times we think that the patient is kind of deaf and we're just working on them, right? But we forget that whatever the assistant says, the patient is also able to hear. And it's really interesting with that because if the patient loses trust in, in you as the operator, I think it jeopardizes the rapport building and all the things that you may have worked on within the appointment as well. So it's a, it's a very interesting topic there because I do feel like personally an assistant is the main like person who looks after the efficiency of an appointment. As an operator, you're kind of at the mercy of your assistant to bring you the instruments that you need, to hand you the light cure, to give you your etch, your bond, your primer, and just to be mindful of all the other things while you're so focused on the task ahead. So having an assistant who is necessarily not at the same level as you then or, you know, isn't able to give you the things that you just, you know, you just need now to keep things going, that can also be really frustrating. And I've definitely been in that position because I am still learning. I'm still a fourth year and there's times where I'm like, oh, my God, okay, I need to get my hypochlorite. I need to get this file. I need to get the M2 system going, blah, blah, blah. And recognising right now in my position that, you know, I am that little bit slow and possibly forewarning the person as well, like, hey, I'm just trying to figure my way around this new clinic, learn where everything is first so that I can help you best in this appointment. And at the end of the day, it's all just going to come back to that mutual understanding that you, hopefully you and your partner establish right at the start. So I am really grateful for my partner in this placement so far or all the partners that I've been with because I think there's just been that understanding throughout the whole cohort that, you know, there will be people who are a lot better at this than me and there might be instances where I'm a lot better and just recognising that, you know, we want to just try and level out the playing field because everyone deserves a good experience regardless. I think a lot of times too after an appointment, 
we can often be disappointed with ourselves and, you know, a, a, a tutor can come over and obviously give us constructive criticism, which although constructive and critical is, you know, we, we do t- naturally take personally and there's value in being somebody also to lean on and support, you know, as you're both going together. And as you said, you know, having a companion to, you know, these are your colleagues you're going to be working with. A lot of students now, it's, you know, uh, early weeks of March have just seen their first patient or they're going to see their first ever patient. Uh, what advice would you give for them? I still remember my first ever appointment and it was just like a normal exam. And the night before I couldn't sleep. Um, and I think it was more just because I had put so much pressure on myself that, you know, I need to go out there, I need to build rapport, I need to be an amazing clinician. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners today will have the same expectation. But my biggest piece of advice would be that firstly, you are ready. Do not doubt yourself because there's going to be two to three years of just theory that has gone into you being able to see your first patient. Theory, sim labs, all of that has come to this. So take it again as just a really beautiful opportunity to just be like, I know, I know, I know my stuff. Okay. I just need to go in there and then see how it's going to translate to something that I hope to do for at least the next five to six years of my life because I was so nervous that I was stumbling on my words and I was like, Sanika, what are you doing? I remember thinking to myself after the appointment and then the next patient that I saw, because I was so calm and I kind of like was a little bit more reassured after my first appointment, it went so smoothly. So if anything, it's just that knowledge of backing yourself and being like, you know what, it's going to be a good day. We're going to walk in. We're going to go in with a smile and no matter what, I've got my tutors there to support me and I've got my knowledge behind me to support me as well. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice for anyone who's going to see their first patient because I think it's something that they should really enjoy. And I think that's, I think that's excellent. And to end the episode off, what is there any other piece of advice or you know, thoughts that you have as, as somebody going through dental school at the moment? For anyone going through dental school at the moment, my biggest piece of advice would be keep going because I know that there's a lot of times when, you know, you doubt yourself, things get really hard. I know, especially for our cohort last year, things got pretty hard towards the end. We had our vivas, we had our oskies. And I personally remember thinking to myself, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this for another two years. And oftentimes you come back from clinic sometimes and, you know, you've had a patient where things have gone wrong and things don't always go to plan. But it's that notion of being like, you know what, you made it so far. Even being in dental school in itself is an achievement. I know for some people it's a lifelong dream of theirs. So the main thing would be to know that at the end of the day, there is a shining light at the end of the tunnel. We get to be part of a profession that is such a niche surgical field where, you know, you have full autonomy with 
a patient. It's just you and your patient in that surgery. So tapping into that, recognising that, you know, what we do is not easy. I feel like as dental professionals, we downplay what we do very easily. We're just like, oh, we just drill in fill teeth. There's a lot more to dentistry than that for sure. So recognising that, you know, we're, we're pretty talented people and we've worked really hard to get to where we are. So just pushing through those tough times and seeing that there's value in hopefully what we want to make of our careers at the end as well. Inspiring words from our president. <laughs> Thank you, Sadaka. No, my pleasure. Whoa, what was that? Everyone, I would like to announce that we are now hiring. Do you want to work with the Dental Head Start podcast team? Keep in touch with our social media as we're posting a job offer very soon. Stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists. Thank you.